Last week we talked about fruitfulness and we spoke from the parable of the soils in Mark chapter 4. And that parable taught that the soil that Jesus was teaching when he interpreted the parable for his disciples, that that soil is our hearts. And he, and he described four different kinds of soil. Uh, there's hard soil that would be kind of like if you threw seed on the road itself and there was soil that was full of rocks and the depth of the soil was very shallow and there was soil that already had thorns and weeds and things growing up inside of it and that soil represented um, the desires for riches and the cares of the world and all those kind of things that would choke the fruitfulness out of the seed. The seed itself is the word of God and the... Um, the good soil is the soil that's tilled and it's ready that would actually receive that seed. And when, when good soil receives the seed that's the word of God, the Bible tells us that it produces a harvest of 30, 60, or 100-fold what was put down. And that's true if you look, if you put a, a grain of wheat into the ground and it, and it grows up, the fruit is more than one grain of wheat. If you put a kernel of corn into the ground the stalk comes up and it has multiple heads and on each head are hundreds and hundreds of kernels of corn. There's a multiplication that happens when the seed of the word of God hits the soul, or excuse me, the soil of a good heart that's hungry for it. We talked about fruitfulness and, and at the end I gave an analogy of uh, being a sales manager and how that there's a couple of ways that a sales manager could try to um, be effective in his job having salespeople. And one would be to focus on the fruit, the results, the sales that actually come in and, and say, you're below sales quota, you have to do more, you know, you're not fruitful in your lives, you need more fruit. And we would focus on the fruit and, and, and try and try and try to be fruitful for the Lord. The other way is to focus on the process. What are the things that a person does to be successful in the work that they're doing? And if they execute against the process effectively, the results should take care of themselves. And if we focus only on is there fruit, is there fruit, is there fruit, what happens is we start to compare ourselves with other people. We don't know what God's doing in this person, or half the time we're not even sure what he's doing in us. It brings us to places of... Um, of feeling inadequate, of not enough, that all these different things that can come, if all we focus on is, am I fruitful, am I fruitful, we don't know what the standard is. But if we focus on the process that brings fruit, then we can be confident that the fruit will come. And, and Jesus said in uh, John chapter 15 that apart from him, we can produce no fruit at all. So the process, and this is at a 100,000-foot at a level, but the process of being fruitful in the kingdom is abiding in Jesus. And I want to take and talk about that some more today. Um, one bit of scripture that I want to read from last week, as we start into this week, is from Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. So this isn't specifically the story uh, that was the parable, but, but it's part of the bigger picture that Jesus is trying to, to paint. And he says this, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And, if, and he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By the standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away. So as, as the Lord places this seed that's his word, what these scriptures are telling us is that the soil of our heart needs to be prepared to receive it. And to the measure that we will receive, that we will embrace, that we will nurture that seed that's in our soil, 
more will be given to us. But if we don't, if it's, if it's not valuable to us, if we're like hard soil or rocky soil or soil that's only concerned about feeding the cares of the world and the, the desire for riches, then he says it's going to bear no fruit and even what we have will be taken away because he's looking to put that seed in good soil. So let's just pray a minute. Father, I do pray that each and every one of us have ears to hear. I ask that the soil of our hearts be tilled to receive the word that you're going to present to us today and that it will bear fruit 30, 60, or 100 times what you're placing into us today. pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read to you from the, the letter 1 John and from the Gospel of John. When I read to you from the Gospel of John, you'll hear Jesus speaking. When I read to you from the letter that's 1 John, you will hear John speaking. But what I want you to know or understand, you probably already know this. Hang on a minute. Okay. What I want you to be conscious of when you're hearing this is that John that wrote 1 John to the church is the guy who, let me just look at my notes here. John is the guy that walked with Jesus for three and a half years. John is the guy that gave up everything to follow Jesus. He was a fisherman with uh, Peter and Andrew. Uh, James and his brother John, were, they were like partners. They helped each other out. Jesus shows up. He, he creates miraculously this huge harvest of fish, and they walked away from everything to follow Jesus. It's that John. Um, John was one of the three people that was present on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was literally glorified and God came down in the glory cloud and spoke audible words for them to hear. These are, these are the things that were part of the guy's life that we're going to hear from today. John was the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest. John was one of the three that were closest to Jesus during his ministry. He picked 12 out of the mass of his disciples, and out of those 12, he picked three that were his most intimate people that he sowed into. That was John. And John is the one, just before Jesus gave up his spirit, as he's hanging on the cross, that he looked down to and he said, Son, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. He's literally the one that Jesus entrusted his very mother to upon his death. That's John. And you've got to hear the passion with which John speaks to understand. Think about if you had been with Jesus, you had seen the miracles, you had heard the teaching, you had experienced God in the form of man, you had seen the suffering, the passion of the Christ, you'd have seen him on the cross, you'd experience the resurrection, you'd experience the ascension, you had sat in the upper room when the Holy Spirit descended on them like tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost. That's this guy right here. And hear the passion in his voice. He says these things so that we will know. He writes that in all of it. It's like, so you will know that Jesus is the one. That's this guy. Okay. Here's what I want you to see in the, in the actual message. Faithfulness and in, intimacy with God result from abiding. Remember, we finished last week with abiding. Um, fruitfulness and intimacy with the Lord result from abiding. Abiding is an outcome of obedience. So if you want to be fruitful, you abide in Jesus. If you want intimacy with God, you abide in Jesus. Abiding is a function of obedience to Jesus. I'm telling you that you can believe it or not, but I'll show it to you in the scriptures in a second here. And then obedience 
is ultimately to love. Okay? So, fruitfulness and intimacy. This is what you're looking for in the scriptures that I'm going to read to you today. Fruitfulness and intimacy with God result from abiding. Abiding is an outcome of obedience, and obedience is ultimately to the purpose of love. All right. Um, we talk a lot about Heidi Baker. I mentioned her earlier today. There's two things. We, when we were in Mozambique, and we've seen Heidi speak a number of times, that she said over and over and over again. Everybody that's heard Heidi testify about her life, the miracles, the, the intimacy with the Lord, wants what Heidi has. Everybody wants what Heidi has. I want your relationship. I want to know Jesus how you know Jesus. And what Heidi says to people when they ask her that question is, if you want intimacy with Jesus, go where Jesus is. Where is that, Heidi? It's with the poor. It's with the least of these. It's with the disadvantaged. So she says, abide in Jesus where Jesus abides. That's been the practice of her life. The more that she surrenders herself, selfless surrender to the places that are important to Jesus, the more she comes into intimate relationship with him. And the second thing that she says is all fruitfulness comes from intimacy. If you say, my goodness, Heidi, you have, you know, I don't know, 10,000 orphans in your care and you've planted 12,000 churches and where did all this come from? She'll say intimacy with Jesus. All fruitfulness comes from intimacy with Jesus. It's so important that we would seek and desire intimacy with Jesus. Okay, Um, would you put up my slide, Caitlin, that talks about the definition of abide? So many times when I'm looking up a word and I want to define the word, um, the dictionary definition doesn't serve the biblical use of the word very well at all. This time it served it perfect. So abiding is this. Think about this. When you are choosing, when you're thinking about how do I abide, what does it mean when I'm abiding? This is a great definition. To accept or act in accordance with a rule, decision I highlighted, or recommendation. So when you chose Jesus and you said, Jesus, you shall be the Lord of my life, to abide is in that decision. When you by faith receive Jesus as your Savior, abide means that you stay in that decision synonymous with, like the same as abide, are words like to comply with, obey, observe, follow, keep to, hold to, conform to, adhere to, stick to. You getting it? Stand by, act in accordance with, uphold, heed, accept, go along with, acknowledge, respect, defer to more. And the antonyms, the things that are not to abide, would be to flout or to disobey. That's the definition of abiding. So when we see abide, when when the scripture uses the word abide, this is what it's talking about. Okay, now, this is the Apostle John speaking. This is not Jesus speaking. This is the guy who was with Jesus speaking. 1 John uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard. He's, He's sharing his experience. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, which is Jesus. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Jesus was with the Father. He was manif- We saw him, we touched him, we heard him. We have seen and heard, and we proclaim to you also, so that you, why are we making this proclamation? So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our, some translations say your, joy may be made complete. So he's starting to 
want to get us to this place. When, when I prayed for that boy with the bad knee, I started off with the blind eyes, the calf that was manifested, the two deaf ears, the shoulders that were replaced. I, I, I wanted to, I have experience with this. I want you to believe because you can at least understand that I've seen it happen. It can happen with you. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get us to this place of faith in Jesus based upon it. You don't have to believe anything else, but listen, I was with him. I touched him. I felt him. I heard him. I laid my head on his chest. This is my experience. Why? So that your joy may be complete, so that you can have fellowship with the Father and with his Son. That should be our objective. That's what he's trying to tell these guys. Listen, you can have this. Okay, fellowship contextually is kind of a a synonym for abide, all right? Now we move on. This is the message we have heard from him, him being Jesus, and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, this is such a key verse, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, one another isn't you and me, it's us and God. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So now what John is saying is that the opportunity to have this fellowship with the Father and with his Son is to be where they are. They live only in the light. In God, there is no darkness at all. So the parts of us that want to hold on to darkness, things that aren't light, right, have to be released to have increased relationship with God. He's teaching us to have what we would call short accounts. If you confess your sins, he is righteous to forgive your sins. God will forgive our sins when we confess them to him. It's, it's righteous. It's right for him to do that. And also, here's the verse that I really struggled with. It says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And I couldn't understand, like, what's the timing of that verse? Is it like, I never sinned? Or is it like, I'm already saved, but I've never sinned since then? And I think what he's trying to portray to us is this. If we say that we've not sinned, let's say I'm reading my Bible, and my Bible tells me that to covet is a sin, and I'm coveting something. The word of God is illuminating my sin. If I say, no, no, I'm not sinning, then what I'm doing is I'm calling God a liar because he, in his word, called covetousness a sin, and his word is not in me because I'm denying his word. That's what I think he's saying. It's in that same context as short accounts. If you're convicted in God's word, sometimes you don't like the word convicted, but if, if you're made aware in God's word of a sin, and then you deny that that sin is sin, then what he's saying is that, that you are calling God a liar because he's calling that thing a sin and that his word does not abide in you because you're not abiding in his word. Does that make sense? I really think that's what he's saying. Oh, I have to remember to breathe. He goes on now, starting chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. By this we come to know that we know God if we find ourselves walking in his commandments, keeping his commandments. Are you seeing the, the place that obedience is starting to have in this abiding, in this intimate relationship with God? The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of. Now that means for, that means the person that keeps God's word is loving God, the love for God. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love for God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought ought himself abides in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he, Jesus, walked. So if you are, and you know, you know, not any of you, like this other person that, that we don't know, but that person is walking in the darkness and claiming to know God, he doesn't know God. The word says that the person who chooses to walk in the darkness, to deny God's word of light, is not walking in the light. He isn't having fellowship with God. He is not in Christ. Because it says so right here. Okay? All right. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't personally believe somebody can be saved, is saved, without a sincere commitment to then obey Jesus. Last week I talked about abiding in God's word. How in the world can Jesus be Lord of your life? Can you abide in him if you have no interest to know him? You have no interest to know how to abide. <coughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. Abide in this. Um, don't let any foolish, I forget what words, you know, come out of your mouth. Don't abide in that. Darkness, light. Never return evil for evil, but return a blessing. That's abiding. But if you don't read his word, how are you going to know? How will you abide in Jesus if you have no idea what that looks like? Okay, not in my notes. That was just an editorial. Now, that was 1 John, chapter 1 and, and most of chapter 2, or half of chapter 2, John speaking. Now this is John writing what he heard Jesus speak. I want you to look for the parallels in here. This is John chapter 15. I read some of this to you last week. Jesus now speaking, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So there's two kind of branches, right? A branch that produces nothing, the father, he prunes the whole branch off. Ouch. And that branch, you hear about the branch that gets pruned off in a minute. The branch that's able to produce a little fruit, not able, that's the wrong word, that's willing to produce a little bit of fruit for God, he says, that's awesome. I know how to help you because you got this little thing called anger and you're going to work with me and I'm going to just prune that little thing off from you and more fruit will come. And you got this little thing called bitterness and we're going to work that thing off of you and then the more fruit can come. And all this little stuff that's not abiding in the light... God is wonderful. I think his shears, you know, he takes it off very carefully, but there's a pruning process that goes on. And, and if we'll submit ourselves to the pruning process, then God is able to bring in that harvest of 30 or 60 or 100 times more than the single seed that was put down. Okay, 
You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, here's what Jesus says. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is telling us that that out of the flesh, outside of abiding in him, there is no eternal fruit that can be produced by us. We don't have what it takes. But if we will abide in the vine and allow the process of pruning to happen by the Father, then much, much, much fruit will come. But if we will disconnect ourselves from the source, remember I told you last week about, Teresa taught me in biology that that the, the, the branch or the vine, which would be like the trunk of a tree, pro- provides nothing to the branches. The way that God has designed the biology of plants is that the only way that a branch can get what it needs from the vine in order to produce the fruit is to draw from the vine or the branch. You have to pull. You have to pull. You have to choose to abide in order to receive any of the nourishment that comes from God that will allow you to produce fruit off your branch. You've got to make a decision to actually want it. Remember what he said in, in uh, Mark chapter 4? To the measure, to however important it is to you, more will be given to you. But if it's not important to you at all, the draw on that thing, even what you have, the little bit of fruit that might have been out there, it all gets taken away. That revelation that comes from God's word. So that John doesn't get a big head, I wanted to bring a little (laughs) Apostle Paul in here. Galatians chapter 5 paints a great picture of this, of, of where you're choosing to abide. Paul says this, but I say, I, Paul, say, walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please, that your flesh would please to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh. This is where you choose to abide. If you choose to abide in the flesh, this is what comes out. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like to be darkness. That kind of stuff is darkness. But, he says, the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, we want to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these such things there is no law. Now, he started this whole discourse with these words. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by, equal, abide. Walk by the Spirit. Abide in the Spirit. And this is what's going to emanate from your person. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against these there is no law. Okay, back to John now. Continuing on in John chapter 15. If anyone does not abide in me, this is Jesus speaking again, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. No comment on that one. That's, that's what happens to the branch that doesn't have any fruit on it, doesn't abide in Jesus. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, God wants you to bear fruit. He doesn't want you to bear a little fruit, insignificant fruit, fruit that nobody can notice, 
Because there's no glory for God. And as God is glorified, people are drawn on to God's glory into his kingdom. So it's his desire to release the kingdom to us, to release the kingdom through us, and that we would produce much fruit because it brings glory to him. It's like this this good snowball rolling downhill, just picking up steam and growing and growing and growing and growing. He wants us to be fruitful. Just as the Father, now Jesus speaking again, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do I abide in Jesus' love? I keep his commandments. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. People want to, they ask Jesus, you know, trying to catch him in a lie, some way that they could kind of unmask him as this false prophet. And they would ask him the question, what are the two most important commandments? And Jesus would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But then later in the Bible, we find out that the one commandment, that is the equal to all of the law and the prophets, everything that these guys were taught, which one summarizes it all? He doesn't say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is why that's true. Because to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is to obey him. He says, if you obey me, you love me. If you don't obey me, you're not loving me. God receives our love through our obedience. So he says, if you obey me, you're loving me. Okay, how do I love you? How do I obey you? What do I obey you to? He says, love your neighbor. So the second, second satisfies the first because it's the obedience to his command. What's my command? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now can you see when we started out, fruitfulness and intimacy with God result from abiding. Abiding is the outcome of obedience. Obedience is ultimately to the purpose of love. If we don't obey God, we don't love God. But if we only obey God because some fear of wrath, there's, there's levels of love. Obedience is, a, is the excellent expression of love. But obedience for the sake of obedience isn't the excellent motivation for love. The excellent motivation for love is knowing God. Because if you know God, who is love, his very nature is love, you can't help but respond with love. Love will then drive obedience from a different motivation than just because you told me to, right? Now here's the, here's the little process. Remember I told you that it's better to focus yourself on the process than on the results, because you never know what the right amount of results is, and you'll find somebody else who looks like they have more results, and you'll just feel bad. You focus on the process. And, and this is what God gave me over here, just as we finish praying. Abiding leads to intimacy. Intimacy to revelation. Revelation to love. Love to deeper levels of obedience. Deeper levels of obedience to abiding, which lead to intimacy, which lead to revelation which lead to love, which lead to deeper levels of obedience, which lead to abiding. Do you see the snowball? Do you see the way it works? If we will choose to abide, that's where we get back to the place to start is in Scripture. 
The place to start is in prayer. The place to start is when God swirls the angels around the altar is to come and find where he's at and meet him. If you can't find the presence of God in a way that feels tangible to you, make sandwiches and coffee in a thermos. Don't do this on Saturday because they're not there. I learned this. During the week, you go up to Flint, downtown Flint, with a little cooler of sandwiches, some cookies, and some coffee. Ask Gloria's husband, Mike, about it. Blown away. He met Jesus in the... I mean, some of these guys were out of their minds. They, they were so street guy, you know, couldn't even think straight. We fed them sandwiches. We poured them coffee. We gave them cookies. We loved on them. We prayed over them. We got in the car. My, you know, second to knowing you, Gloria. Mike said... This is the greatest day of my life. I, it was so awesome. You know why? Because he met Jesus where Jesus was at. He had a revelation. Guess what the revelation does? Makes you hungry for more. But draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He's God, we're not. He didn't make the rule, I'll draw near to you and then you draw near to me. He didn't write it that way. He wrote it the opposite way. And that's what we have to do. Understand abiding leads to intimacy. Intimacy to revelation, revelation to love, love to deeper levels of obedience, which lead us to want to abide more, which lead us to even deeper places of intimacy. Can you see why we're praying so hard for Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights for people to meet God? For him to literally manifest himself. Just if we'll come that little tiny bit, God, please be graceful and and give us just a little vision. Corporately, Individually, I don't care because I know if you will see Jesus, you'll love him more. You can't not. There's just no other response. It's just not possible. And then the cycle starts and the cycle starts and the cycle starts and all of a sudden you're a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Does it make sense to you? Can I ask you to read 1 John chapter 1 and 2? You'll get a little bit more because I didn't go all the way through chapter 2. And John chapter 15, just take some time, maybe this afternoon before you come back to see Katie's presentation and read those things and, and, and read them from how John is speaking and how Jesus is speaking. Because John, he's so cool. He ends his book. I've written these things so that you might know, that you would believe. He says also, if everything that we saw was to be written in a book, the world couldn't contain the book. It'd be too big. And the world is finite compared to heaven. Amen. Amen. So just as um, Pastor Pat was key, um, just as he said, if you want to meet Jesus, if you haven't experienced his tangible presence in your life, make sandwiches and thermos of coffee and go up to Flint and, and serve what society labels castaways or the least of these. Another way to do it is simply what the Idonis are doing, what we're doing, what many families in this church have already done is meeting Jesus through the face of a child and opening your home and your heart. And and, uh, (laughs) these are are tangible ways that you can um, meet Jesus. And I just want to pray over you. I want want you all to close your eyes. Because this isn't just for a select few. This is for all. And this is how 
we fulfill that second commandment, which is what Jesus says is the first and greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what that looks like. It costs you something. It costs you comfort. People think that the it's it's a financial cost. Yes, it's that too. But the cost isn't comparable to the reward. So I want to just pray over you and have you ask the Lord where you can meet him. So, Father, I just thank you for every single person here today, every single son and daughter, Lord. We just thank you. We thank you for this amazing word that you've left us as as just your love letter to us. But not for us to keep, but for us to, to share, to open our hearts. And Lord, as we close this service today, Lord, speak to each and every heart here today, Lord. That as we abide in you and you abide in us, as we draw near to you and you draw near to us, God, what is it? What is it that you're asking specifically for each one of us to do? How can we love our neighbor as ourselves, Lord? It's not for a select few. It is for all. And you've asked each and every one of us, God, to love our neighbors as ourselves. You've asked each and every one of us to draw near to you. You've asked each and every one of us to lay our lives down because that's what life love looks like. There's no greater love than this than one would lay down his life for a friend. And who are my friends? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? And you simply say, these that I've placed in front of you. So, Lord, we just thank you for the abiding grace that you give each and every one of us, God. When we choose you today, we choose your ways over our ways, your will over our wills. Speak to our hearts. God, may we reflect your word and our obedience to what you speak to each and every heart here today. What a joy it is to love you and to serve you, to give back what you first gave us, and that's love. And what a beautiful demonstration of what you designed your kingdom to be a kingdom of love. No one excluded, but everyone included. God, open our hearts to expand our capacity to love today. Whether it's bringing an orphan in and making him a son or a daughter, whether it's feeding those 
that society turns their backs to. Whatever way you're speaking to each and every heart here today, God, may we be determined and obedient and walk out your will and do the things that the Father says and say the things that the Father says. We thank you, Lord. We just ask that as we leave here today, you go with us. Your promises were never alone, that you're always with us. So may we walk with you today and tomorrow and the next day and always. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray.